Well, we have very creatively titled our Christmas sermon series, Advent. Now, what does Advent even mean? So the word Advent refers to the arrival, there's the word arrival, of um, someone or something or an event that is notable. And of course, in the Christian world, Advent refers to the four Sundays leading up to Christmas when we think about the arrival, the first Advent, the coming of Jesus the Messiah. And as believers, we not only look back at uh, Christ's first Advent, we also look forward to his second coming, his second Advent, when he will arrive again. And so it is a time of expectant waiting. We talked about that. It is a time of preparing our hearts. It's also a time of receiving and celebrating Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to focus on today, is receiving Jesus. We sing that carol, Joy to the World. The Lord has come, let earth receive. Let earth receive her king. If Advent means arrival, then to receive means to welcome. It means to take in. It means to accept. Now, not every arrival receives the welcome that it deserves. I remember uh, right after Mary, my wife, graduated from Grace College, we hopped on a plane and flew this transatlantic flight through the night to France uh, for a missionary training time. And we, so we landed in Paris and we had to negotiate you know, the public transportation to get from the airport to the train station. And then we were able to figure out how to find the train that was gonna take us on a four hour ride down to Macon, France. And uh, by the time we got there, we were exhausted and hot and sweaty and tired, but we were filled with expectation. And so we got off the train and we waited until every last person had gone and we were the only ones standing in this train station. We didn't speak French, you know? We couldn't talk to anybody, we had no vehicle, we didn't know what to do, we just waited and waited for hours. Finally, someone came, they remembered us finally, and showed up very apologetically to take us to the training time. So not, not every arrival receives the welcome that it deserves. <clears throat> well, what about Jesus? Let's talk about Jesus. At his arrival, at his advent, how was he received? Well, in very different ways. I invite you to take your Bibles, print or digital, and turn to Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one. And we are going to read starting in verse 18 all the way through chapter two, verse 12. Now, I want you to pay attention to the different people or groups in this text and how they received Jesus. So let's read this together. Matthew chapter one, starting with verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, 
he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, Yahweh saves, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, there's lots of things that would be great to explore in this passage. All right, we could talk about the virgin conception and why that was necessary and theologically important in the whole story. We'd love to get the whole backstory on Herod and the Magi and figure out where they came from and who they were. There's lots of things to explore, but this morning we're just going to consider how different people and groups of people received or responded to the advent of the Messiah, the arrival of the Messiah. How did they respond? Well, let's start with King Herod. King Herod felt threatened, didn't he? Without ever having met, without knowing Jesus, Herod hated him and wanted to get rid of him, even if that took violence. Now, this is neither surprising or unusual for Herod. No, no one was amazed by his response to this because he was an effective ruler, but he was ridiculously paranoid about his rule. Uh, one description of Herod states this, uh, 
The demons of Herod's life were jealousy for power and suspicion. All right, he, he was thought to be a usurper by his people and always thought that they were going to try to overthrow him. And so he was completely paranoid and squashed any even hint of insurrection or of competition for his throne. <clears throat> now, he would go to extreme lengths to do this. For example, he had executed his favorite wife and three of his sons because he was paranoid about what their ambitions might be in regards to his throne. He was not going to brook any, any threat, any competition uh, to him being the ruler over his throne. Now, could that be us? You think, how, how on earth, Herod was an extreme, cruel, brutal tyrant. How on earth could we possibly be like Herod? How, how could that be? But the fact is that most people, a bit like Herod, keep their distance from Jesus, ignore Jesus, uh, mock Jesus, or reject Jesus, or even hate Jesus, and the reason is because they feel threatened by Jesus, because he has a claim on their lives, and they don't want to brook anything, not allow anything, which would be in competition for their independence, their autonomy, their self-reliance, and their self-sufficiency. The question was asked last Sunday, who gets to determine what is important in our lives? Who gets to determine what is important in our lives? And if in our heart of hearts we say, I do, I do, it's mine, I get to determine what's important in my life, then we are reflecting Herod's attitude, Herod's reception of Jesus. <clears throat> are you resistant to Christ's lordship over the throne of your life? Could this be you? Well, that's Herod. How about the next group? It's the Jewish leaders. And they were preoccupied. The Jewish leaders were preoccupied. King Herod wasn't the only one who was disturbed by the arrival of the Magi looking for the recently born king of the Jews. Herod thought he was the king of the Jews. He wasn't the only one disturbed. It says all of Jerusalem was disturbed with him. Now, all Jerusalem probably doesn't refer to every single person in Jerusalem. It refers most specifically to the Jewish leaders. And they were disturbed for a different reason than Herod. Herod was disturbed because he thought there might be a threat to his throne. These Jewish leaders were troubled and disturbed because they were afraid of Herod's response. For good reason. If we continue reading in Matthew chapter two, we'd see what Herod did. He was, he was ready to kill even infants and babies and toddlers in order to uh, secure his throne, his rule. And so they were, they were concerned about Herod's response. They wanted to keep the tentative and fragile status quo, their jobs, their positions, their, their security, their affluence, they didn't want that to get crushed. And so they, they 
were concerned about Herod's response. They knew what he was capable of and they wanted to avoid it. We see Jesus addressing this same group of people, the Sanhedrin, in John chapter 11. And this is just after Jesus has resurrected Lazarus from the dead. And this is what uh, happened afterwards. Uh, Instead of responding to this incredible miracle that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, this is what they do. This is one in the Sanhedrin saying, what are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. We want our positions. We want our security. We want our assets. We, we want our affluence. This, Je- this Jesus is... Uh, is, is going to cause the Romans to take that all away from us. And so they were preoccupied with preserving their lives as they knew it, and they did not go looking for Jesus. Well, it's all too easy to become preoccupied, isn't it? What preoccupies you? Football? I mean, last night, I was, I was doing a little work and I, I couldn't help but keep checking in on the Colts game. You know, you have to see what's going on there. <clears throat> Current events, do that, does that preoccupy you? I spend far too much time looking at the news about the war in Ukraine and the war in Gaza and before long, you know, a lot of time can go by I'm I'm preoccupied with current events. What what preoccupies you? What what grabs and holds and takes your attention? Acquiring and maintaining status? Is it safety and security that you're mostly concerned about? Your kids, your family? That's good, your kids and your family. But if if it preoccupies us so that we miss the Messiah that we don't receive him and welcome him and take him in, then that is a tragedy. What, what preoccupies you? Are you too busy for Jesus? These Jewish leaders were too busy uh, maintaining the status quo, keeping their positions to receive Jesus. They ignored him. All right, there's another group of people closely related to the previous ones, and that's the teachers of the law, the chief priests. They would have been Sadducees and the teachers of the law who were Pharisees, and they conveyed self-righteous indifference, self-righteous indifference. So Herod, he calls in all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, and for nefarious reasons, he asks them to tell him where the Christ, that is the Messiah, is prophesied to be born. Where should these magi go if they're gonna find the person they're looking for? And guess what? They had the right answer. They got it right. They knew. High five, woo, we are smart. We could tell you exactly where the Christ is coming. And so they quote Micah and say, he's going to arrive in Bethlehem. And that's exactly the truth. That's exactly where Jesus was. He was in Bethlehem. That's great that they knew the right answer. But isn't it strange? Isn't it sad 
that even though they knew the right answer, they did not go with the Magi to seek the Messiah. They did not, they knew the answer was Bethlehem, but they didn't go to Bethlehem. How could that possibly be? That they allowed these pagan magi from the east to, to line up ahead of them in receiving the long-awaited Messiah, the, the one who was promised to them. How could that possibly be? Well, I think Jesus explained it later. Again, talking to a similar group of people, Jesus says this, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. They were self-righteous because they had a lot of knowledge of the scriptures. They thought they had all they needed. They didn't feel like they needed to go looking for the Messiah. There was a great deal of indifference there. Knowledge alone does not save us. More than that, more than what we know, it's who we know that saves us. Jesus came to fulfill the scriptures, but also to redeem us and to reconcile us with the Father. He's called us back into relationship with himself, and it's in that relationship that we find true, real, everlasting life. Our faith is more than what we know about Jesus. At the very heart of our faith is a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is not impressed by how much we know. Knowledge is good, but it doesn't save us. He doesn't feel welcomed by our knowledge. He feels welcomed by our faith, received by our faith. So there is a religious pride that leads to indifference. Been there, done that, know it, have it. Could that be you? All right, those are the negative ones. Let's go to the positive ones. How about the Magi, the wise men? They offered costly worship, costly worship. Now, these are kind of mysterious figures that pop up in the Bible. We'd love to know more about them. Evidently, they had been waiting well looking for the advent of the Messiah. And when they saw the sign, when they saw the star or whatever it was, they set off in search of the Messiah. And I'm sure that that trip had dangers and that it cost a lot of money, but that didn't deter them from seeking Jesus. And when they found him, they worshiped him in a couple of ways. First of all, they humbled themselves and bowed down low before him. Think about that, this little, this little who knows how many months or a couple years at, at the oldest Jesus was by that time and these wise men bowing before him to acknowledge that he was greater, whether they fully understood his deity or just recognized that he was a great king. They recognized his greatness and they worshiped him and then they, they took their treasure chests out and they gave him gold and frankincense and myrrh, incredible. It reminds me of what David said uh, way back when he was going to make sacrifices to God and he wanted to buy the, the, the space which is now the Temple Mount and um, the, the guy who owned it was gonna give it to David and King David said, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. I'm gonna pay for it because worship 
that costs is genuine worship. These magi are such a contrast to Herod. They they themselves may have been kings of some kind and yet they, they recognized the great king who was greater than they were and they were willing to worship him, taking themselves off the throne and putting him on the throne. We demonstrate true worship when we do that, no matter what it costs. Now, I, I kind of like this um, three-service format in a very selfish way, okay? I'm just gonna confess this. Is that, so then I sit in here three hours in a row, which means I sing everything three times. And I like that, I like it a lot. And the reason is because when you sing it three times in a row, everything, it gets into your head, right? Wow, <laughs> that's a first. And, <laughs> and so I, I sing it three times and I get it into, my, get it into my head and that means that through the week I'm gonna sing it more often, it's gonna come into my head more often, it's gonna help me in, during the week. And, um, but you know, is, is, is standing in this climate controlled, beautiful auditorium singing lovely songs, is that costly worship? It's worship, acknowledging and singing truth about God with the praise of our lips. Worthy is Jesus, it's, it's true, it's real. It's, it's not, is it terribly costly? I don't think it's terribly costly, all right? It's good, but not terribly costly. In my life, do you know when costly worship is? It's Mondays. I don't know why it is, but I, Mondays are the worst day for me, for temptation. You know, all the build up to Sunday and Sunday comes and, and there's worship and then Monday and all of a sudden, you know, there's the temptation to be lazy, there's the temptation to waste time, there's the temptation to overindulge and there's all, the, it, it seems to hit me on Mondays And it's on Mondays when I remember what I sang on Sunday and choose to obey, listen to the Spirit and submit to Him and not do what my flesh desires. That is worship, costly worship, because it's a hard choice sometimes. And uh, the question is, are, are we like the Magi and part of receiving Jesus well? By the way, receiving Jesus isn't just a one-time thing you did in the past once and now it's all over. It's a choice that we continually make to, to make him Lord of our hearts. And that costly worship is the choice to submit and to obey. So I'm glad for my Sunday singing. And it's helpful for me on Mondays when my costly worship really begins. All right, that's a pastor just being transparent, okay? <laughs> pray for me. You know, people, pr- people pray. Oh, I prayed for you for Sunday and preaching. Great, thank you. Pray for me on Mondays, okay? <laughs> pray for me that, that I would live consistently on Monday, what was preached on Sunday, because that's the, that's the hard time, but that's also the time of costly worship. Are we taking it into the week? So many people like to receive Jesus but not submit to him. <clears throat> I 
the Magi. And finally, Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary, they believed and obeyed. They believed and obeyed. So simple, not easy, but just so humbly and directly. Uh, we, we read in Luke, uh, Mary's response when the angel announced to her that she was going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit and deliver the Messiah, the Savior of the world. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Wow. And what did Joseph do in the text that we read? As, as soon as he got the message in the dream, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Nothing welcomes Jesus more than being believed and obeyed. In fact, that word receive, we're talking about receiving Jesus, can mean the same thing as believe or trust. To receive Jesus is to believe in him. We see this very clearly in John chapter one, where we read, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him, yet to all who did receive him, in other words, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Joseph and Mary are examples for us in receiving Jesus well because they believed and they obeyed. <clears throat> to receive Jesus well is to believe in him as the son of God, to trust him for forgiveness of sin and to follow him in faith and obedience. If we receive Jesus in faith, we also receive all that comes with him. Let's talk about receiving. When we receive Jesus, we receive all that comes with him. Now, there's a story told. I'm sure it's fictional, but it makes a good point. There was a very wealthy man, and he had one son whom he dearly loved, and they shared a joy in collecting art. And so they would travel the world, and they would buy fine pieces of art and they had a wonderful collection. Well, war broke out, and the son was drafted into war, and it wasn't long that uh, the father received news that the son had been killed. He had been killed uh, carrying a wounded comrade out of battle. It was about Christmas time, and the father heard a knock on the door, and, and there was a man standing there, it was a soldier, didn't recognize him, and the soldier said, I, I'm the one that your son saved. And with him, he had a package. And he opened the package, and it was a painting. And it was a painting of the son. And although it wasn't Rembrandt or Vermeer, uh, it, it was a little bit crude, a little bit uh, not so wonderful, and yet there was some recognition, both of the appearance and even the character of the son that came through in that painting. And so the father gladly accepted that painting. Well, that next uh, year, the father became ill and died. And the whole art world was enthusiastic, actually, because they said, oh, all these fine paintings, these, uh, these great works of art are going to come up for sale. There was going to be an auction. So the day of the auction came, and uh, there was a, this all these, these people that were there in order to um, bid on purchasing these paintings. So the auctioneer got up and the first piece of artwork came out and it was that picture of the sun. And everybody's like, what? Who, what's that picture and, and who ever painted that? And that's not so great. 
And so the auctioner said, who will give me $100 for this painting? And someone says, hey, get, move on from that. Let's get to the good stuff. And the auctioneer said, no, we're gonna, who's gonna, who will give me $100 for this painting? Well, there was a friend of the family there and he said, I'll give you $100 for that painting. I knew the son. And so the auctioneer says, $100, anybody give me any more? Going once, going twice, bam, sold. And then the auctioneer said, the auction is over. And there was great consternation and anger in the room. What are you talking about? What about all the priceless works of art? And the auctioneer said, here's the will of the father. Whoever receives the son receives it all. Whoever receives the son receives it all. To receive the son well is to receive everything. Well, what are we talking about? We're gonna look at some verses really fast here. What do we receive when we receive the son? <clears throat> For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of son, sins through his name. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation, a restored relationship with God. What else? But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship, become sons and daughters of God, part of God's family. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. That's the kind of relationship we can have with God. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the very presence and power of God in our lives. What else? As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. As one who receives Jesus through faith, you've been given a calling to join God in his mission in the world. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. This is pretty cool, right? We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ, which means that we receive whatever he deserves as an inheritance. Imagine, incredible, what else? <clears throat> but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Eternal life, which is not primarily about quantity of time, but the quality of relationship with God. And now look at this, check this out. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What could be better than that? To receive a rich welcome, the open arms of Jesus into his eternal kingdom. And do you know how you receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom? It's by welcoming, receiving Jesus in belief and obedience right now. What could be more important than that?
How are you receiving Jesus? That's the question we all need to think about today as we think about receiving. How am I receiving Jesus today, this week, now? Which one of these characters in the text that we read am I most like right now? Am, am Am I like Herod? Who, who holds Jesus at arm's length because I want to rule the throne of my heart? Am I like the Jewish leaders who, who were completely preoccupied with the, with the realities of life so, so that I don't even think about the Messiah, Christ? Am I like, am I like the religious leaders, religious pride, know it, have it, done it, but there's an indifference that has creeped into my heart. Am I like the magi who, who worship with adoration, but it's a costly worship? And that costly worship for us is, it, it, is, it is what Mary and Joseph, how they received Christ. It's, it's faith and belief and obedience. How are you receiving Jesus today? If, if Herod, if there's, a, if there's a hint of Herod in us, or the Jewish leaders, or the religious class, then we need to repent. We need to confess that. We need to turn away from it. And we need to embrace how the Magi and how Mary and Joseph received Jesus. How are you receiving Jesus, that's worth dwelling on this week as we get closer and closer to Christmas. Let's pray. Father God, again, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for sending us your son. Talk about costly. You gave us yourself. There there is no more precious, no more valuable, nothing greater nothing more wonderful than your son. And you you gave him to us. Not because we're lovely or smart or good. We aren't. It's because you are love. And Lord, I pray that we would receive him with our whole hearts. That, That we would willingly give him lordship and rulership of our hearts. And and that's something that we have to continually choose and work on, and I pray that your spirit would help us. I I pray that we would so value what we receive when we receive Jesus that that we would warmly and richly and fully and completely embrace Jesus by faith and then follow him in belief and obedience. Oh God, I pray for that. We want to receive you well and we look forward to someday being richly received into your eternal kingdom. But we know that the measure we use, that's the measure that you'll use for us. So help us to be people of faith and of grace and of mercy and compassion so that we'll be received in those ways. So God, work in us. Do what you need to do in our lives to help us receive you well. Amen.